DJ and PK, time to talk with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Greg, good morning. Good morning, and I'm glad you let me in with that because we all believe, all of us, in the spirit of radio. <laughs> good work. I like it. So, do you believe in this BYU football team? You feel a big year coming on? Feel a good but not great year coming on? In the words of Gordon Monson, where are you? How are you hanging on? I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good headspace, guys. Uh, I, I, I feel it can be a really good season. I, I, I think last year, BYU did exactly as much as you hoped it would do with the schedule. Uh, that the Cougars had to play and came a yard away from something pretty darn special. But 11-1 and one, uh, was, I, I thought, you know, everything and, and then some you could have hoped last year's team could do. Uh, this year's team may not reach the 11-win plateau, yet still be um, the same kind of caliber and same kind of quality. And you say that having lost, you know, draft picks to the NFL, multiple draft picks to the NFL. But if you have to lose the number two overall pick at quarterback, uh, you're in a pretty good spot with the guys you have back surrounding the quarterbacks competing for the job this fall. The way I look at this season, get your thought on that, that this is very, very important for the progression of the program because this is Coach Sataki's sixth year, and BYU, we know, recruiting classes take a while to get to campus, and then once they get to take campus, it takes some time for them to get into shape to be able to play. But six years is long enough, and so they took a giant step last year, and you can argue the schedule, but the NFL proved that they took a giant step. So with that in mind, how important do you think that that this season is in terms of establishing a program? Well, not only is it important, but I think it's, it's very illustrative that you have a similar situation starting year six that you had in year one. And so you can make a real kind of, um, you know, a real strong measurement from, from year one to year six by, by how the season begins. Um, back in 2016, Kalani's first year, they opened against Arizona uh, on a neutral field in NFL Stadium, won that game, uh, came back and played Utah in their second game. This year, they have the same situation. They go to Vegas, play Arizona in the Raiders Stadium. They're expected to win that game. They won the game in 2016. Then you come back and you play Utah. And that, to me, becomes the, the, the true barometer as to where this team is from then to now, is, is presuming you have success in the opener, how do you bounce back against the team that has been your nemesis for a decade plus? And, and how much more competitive are you? Can you finally break the streak? It, it'll say a lot about the program in how the seasons begin. And furthermore, uh, back in 2016, having beaten Arizona, lost to Utah, they played a Pac-12 team in their next game and lost that game and then lost the next game. And there they were one and three in Kalani's first four games and then rebounded well for a nine-win season. Now, hopefully, the same not need to re- the, the same need to rebound isn't there this time around. But you know, I, I think you can say if there's progress made, and there has been progress made, BYU is not going to be one and three through four games this year. So, as Kalani tries to build a uh, bigger, longer, more athletic roster, what position group do you think is most likely to dominate and give them an edge this year? Well, I. I think the tight end is as good as it's been. Uh, even, even if you just account for the top two guys right now, uh, I think Isaac Rex and Dallin Holker is, are as dynamic a tight end duo as BYU's had in many, many years. And then when you counter that with the fact that uh, the receiving core is essentially back from last year, minus Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney was still a guy that led the team in, in yards per reception, yards per target, target, a good downfield target. Neil Pau. Is, is, is size and speed and catchability. I, I don't think, again, having lost Zach Wilson, lost to Dax Milne, you're not really starting over at either quarterback or wide receiver. And so between tight end and wide receiver with Romney and Pau, Cosper was, was used liberally last year for his role. The Nakua, the, uh, the, the Nakua brothers entered the scene. Chris Jackson and Keanu Hill are still in the mix. Uh, they're deep enough and good enough to, to surround the quarterback with, with all the tools he needs to succeed. And then you're not even talking about a thousand yard running back and the guys behind him, uh, in the backfield. So 
I, I guess I'm saying it shows up all over the offense right now uh, around the quarterback and the guys will be handing it off to and throwing it to. And you, you do lose a draft pick on the offensive line. They're, they're retooling a little bit there. But I really think, guys, they feel they've got six guys to play five up front and feel really good about maybe a seventh right now offensive lineman. And, and if, if, if health can, can be with them on the O-line, I, I can't see them dropping a ton from last year's productivity up front. Then how about on the other side, what's your level of expectation and confidence? Well, certainly nationally, you know, the attention is going to BYU's offense. I mean, you know, if you want to use, you know, watch lists as a, as a barometer, and that's tough to do because everybody gets on a watch list these days, right? Uh, essentially, the only, the only guy garnering any heat defensively right now is Peyton Wilgar, and for good reasons. But I'm fairly confident that by the end of the year, uh, you know, Peyton Wilgar won't be the only standout on this BYU defense. So I, I, th- I think the versatility and strength in numbers on the D-line might take away from IDing any one particular player as a stud, but Tyler Batty certainly has an opportunity to be that guy up front. He was, I think he was at three sacks through four games last year. He only played four games and still ended up as one of BYU's top uh, pressure and hurry and, and, uh, and havoc guys last year. So a healthy season for Tyler Batty could mean a special season on the D line. The linebacking core, I think has been properly ID'd as a real strength of this team. But uh, I, I think Keenan Ellis and D'Angelo Mandel are a really nice pair of starting corners uh, for BYU as well. So they're not getting a lot of attention. I think it's been more slow and steady than spectacular, maybe numerically, for Coach Sitake's defense and Coach uh, uh, Tuiaki's defense. But, uh, you know, they, they can ramp it up when they have to. I think they choose a lot of times not to, but you can't argue with the results. I mean, BYU was as good as any team in the country last year, guys, at preventing the big play. Now, you could argue that last year's opponents weren't necessarily the, the, the laundry list of big playmakers, but there were good, you know, there, there were at least challenges last year that were met adequately. And that's been a real strength of BYU is not letting a lot of big plays and big yards per play, chunk plays, explosive plays beat you. There's a lot made of Power 5 teams on BYU's schedule, but all Power 5 teams are not created equal, and BYU has shown that they are pretty good at handling the bottom of the Power 5 and decent against the middle of the Power 5. So I guess that leads to question, who is truly elite and going to provide a challenge, and which of these Power 5 teams do you think BYU is going to have an upper hand on? Well, I, I, I think, uh, obviously, the, the top three picks in the Pac-12 South are the ones that are projected to give BYU the most trouble. Uh, you know, to me, Utah is tougher than USC just because it's Utah, and it has been for years. Uh, it's, it's the hurdle BYU has had a real tough time confronting. And, and the, 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 the problem with the Utah series, the way it's gone, isn't just that you lose all these games. It's that you essentially you've lost in, in every possible way. Uh, you've lost when turning it over. You've lost when not turning it over. You've lost when trailing early. You've lost with big leads. You, you've really you, you've not been able to identify the one thing that if we do this right, we can beat this team we haven't beaten forever because it's happened in every possible way. So to me, Utah is still right at the top. Uh, USC may be ranked higher, thought of higher, but Utah is still uh, you know the, the, the toughest team BYU will play. Uh, Utah, USC, Arizona State. I, I think it's okay to say one, two, three out of the three toughest teams. Of the P5s, uh, you know, all, all P5s not being created equal. You get a couple of bottom dweller picks at least in Washington State and Arizona, and then you get kind of middle of the pack Big 12 and Baylor, and then Virginia could be a middle of the pack in the ACC. So you're kind of hitting all, you're hitting, you know, you know kind of the elite teams in their league, kind of bottom dwellers in their league, and then middle packers in their league. So there's really a kind of a random sampling for BYU to see. You know, where they should be. You've got games you're expected to lose, games you're really expected to win, and then I think toss-ups right in the middle. And so it, it could go at, you know, any way with those seven P5s this year with the real strength at the top being being Utah. Stepping away from this season, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving to the SEC, we know that that just creates a whole lot of uncertainty. Uh, what do you think needs to happen for BYU as these things, not just this move from the 12 to the SEC, but obviously there's going to be fallout and domino effects. So what do you think BYU needs to do to make sure that it's in a good spot when this particular set of circumstances settles, even if it's three or four years, five years down the road? Well, I actually think that, that the groundwork's been laid, PK. I think BYU's done what it has to do to be in a good spot. And, and not that they lack initiative or ambition in this situation, but they can kind of afford to let some things happen around them 
and, and see where the best opportunities present themselves when, when the dust settles again. I, I think they've proven through independence that it's, it's maybe more sustainable than maybe some imagined. Um, you can still be an independent like BYU. You can still have your entire P5 schedule crumble around you. You can still find a way to be an 11-win team in a 12-win pandemic season and get back on the national radar. I, I think games like the, the one they'll play in Las Vegas uh, is another good opportunity for BYU to not you know, show, but perhaps remind some people of where they are kind of in a national landscape in terms of the ability to either attract eyeballs or fill seats away from their home stadium, home city, and home state. Uh, I think BYU is going to uh, you know, dominate the crowd composition down in Las Vegas. Um, uh, you know, commission, uh, you know, conferences and networks will continue to take notice of, of what BYU can do uh, on a national setting. And, and I think, you know, you know parenthetically, uh, from, from venue uh, improvements, facilities, to internal programs, uh, to things BYU's done over the last just five years, I think all show that the Cougars are positioning themselves as a program uh, you know, to be highly considered if somebody chooses to reconfigure, you know, their, their particular group here in the next few years. I, I just think that, you know, you know, things like the, the Learfield Directors Cup, which kind of take a look at where you are as an overall program, continue to show you know, that BYU is not a one-trick pony and can be nationally consistent in a variety of sports. And I think the things that, that tend to hang people up a little bit about BYU are, are the other things. Uh, that really aren't athletics related. And I think if, if anyone were to make a purely, you know, pragmatic, pragmatic and even academic decision on BYU, um, you know, it, it's, it's just this side of a no brainer as to what kind of value they might bring, uh, you know, to a conference, no matter what, you know, grouping we're talking about moving forward, whether it's truly just, you know, P5 conferences or whether it's new imaginations of college football altogether. Greg Rubel joining us. BYU Cougar play-by-play voice. You know, you've been pretty clear about the rivalry on the field, and we're going to play something for you here in a second from uh, Kyle Whittingham. But before we do that, I'm, I'm curious about where you think the rivalry is as far as the emotion uh, between the fans and in the fan base. You know, when it was the last game of the season, that just lends itself to this huge buildup. And now no matter what happens, well, there's going to be 10 more games afterwards. It, it can't be the ultimate thing when there's still 10 games to go. So aside from the on-field stuff, how do you think the rivalry exists in the minds of you know, the fans and the players and all of that? It still feels pretty healthy. And I think, I think too, you have to look also to the emphasis the particular programs you know, place on the game. And that's where I think it's really told. And I think it's still as highly emphasized as ever. Um, and, and, and that's important to me. And, and you know, Utah, I, I think, you know, can, can rightfully, no matter how things are going at other points in their schedule, you know, point to the fact that, that the in-state rivalry has, has gone their way for a decade plus, and, that, and that's significant. And, and BYU, conversely, uh, without a championship to play for and, and ideally rankings to strive for, still has to look at getting back in the rivalry as something that, that indicates, you know, progress and success. And they haven't had it for a long, long time. And so uh, I think that would mean a lot, you know, for BYU to get, you know, to swing it back the other way or at least attempt to start to swing it back the other way. We've seen over time, guys, as you know, that these things have been, you know, somewhat cyclical to the extreme. This is about at the outside edge of where either team can have a win streak at nine or ten games. It rarely gets beyond that. And, and so – um, I, I'm sure the Cougar fans are hoping that the cyclical nature of it, even though it's been stretched out over a decade plus, begins to come back into equilibrium from a BYU standpoint. All right, here's the bite from uh, Kyle Whittingham doing an interview. Listen, and uh, then your reaction. Can you tell us three nice things about your rival? Uh, who's our rival? We got rivals in conference. We got rivals out of the conference. Uh, you you know, doggone well, I'm talking about BYU. Oh, that, uh, the in-state game. Okay, gotcha. He uh, said the in-state game. Well, it's, it, the dynamic has changed so much. Really? Yeah, because, uh, you know, they're no longer in the same conference. We were in the same conference forever, you know, right. 60, 70, 80 years. I can't remember what it was. but, but uh, So it's changed, and, and we've started to develop a, a little bit of a rivalry with uh, USC, Colorado, mm-hmm. Arizona State. I mean, there's just been some, some things that are starting to uh, materialize inside the Pac-12, and so uh, that's why I asked that question. But, I get you, Coach. But, uh, yeah, Let's skip to the next question. <laughs> so I, I don't know how to address it. I don't know which way to go with it. Thoughts? 
Well, I would say Kyle's being coy. I think a little bit of a rivalry is accurate compared to the the, de- the decades of history against BYU. And, you know, I mean, it's a real thing. I mean, Kyle cares about not only beating BYU, but never having lost to BYU in more than a decade. And, and you know, whether it's countdown clocks in the facility or otherwise, it matters. Always has and, and always will. And so, again, I think there's a level of coyness there, but that's okay. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's okay for them to... Um, to project toward the Pac-12 and say this is, you know, we've kind of left certain components of our of our past behind and are and are aiming in this direction. That's okay and that's and that's reasonable and that's logical and, and I get it. But uh, BYU is still BYU to the Utes, and I think uh, it'll always be that way. You think it's the biggest game on BYU's schedule? I think a lot within that program. Believe it is. Yeah, fair enough. Because 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 I think they kind of drew a line in the sand uh, more than a decade ago. And so far that line has stayed intact. And, and, and so with every year that, 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 you know, that that belief that we're not going to lose these guys again for every year that that extends, I think it continues to, to matter and mean more to that extent that we haven't, you know, we're not going to lose again and they haven't lost again, that, 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 that kind of thing. What level of confidence do you think the fan base has in Kalani to pull off a big season or big seasons when they take a bigger view going forward? Uh, I, I'm, say that again. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what level you think, and, and the reason is that the follow-up to this is um, you know, how much faith does the football administration have above him, the athletic department administration above him, and the leadership above Tom have in Kalani. And I'm curious how much the fan base has in Kalani, if they're aligned, if they're on the same plane? Oh, God, you know, I'm, 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 I'm only speculating as to what the highest of higher-ups believe, but, but how, how could you not be pleased with not only um, the success of the programs in terms of wins and losses, um, you know, the, the national image that BYU projects and the Kalani projects, um, the affability that, that naturally you get with Kalani, um, his ability to, to interact with and express appreciation for the fan base. I think fans love Kalani. I do. I, 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 I think media love Kalani. I, I, would, I would be hard-pressed to think of somebody that doesn't think favorably and highly of, of Kalani. Um, I, I think he is, in a lot of ways, a reflection of his mentor and his head coach, Lavelle Edwards, in, in many ways. They're not identical personalities by any stretch, but there are a lot of components of each of those gentlemen that I think uh, reflect very well uh, with one another. And uh, again, the wins are there. You have one dip season in five years when you're trying to rebuild and figure out coaching personnel. That's clearly forgivable. I think with what they were able to do with last year's season, how they put people in the NFL, uh, the general trajectory of the program, how it looks, how it feels, how it sounds on game day, I, I, I think BYU is in as positive a spot as they could hope to be in. And, and the guy leading it, to me, is the right guy at the right time. And as you can tell, I mean, I, I, I clearly am a big fan of Kalani myself personally. I've had enough interactions with him since his playing days through now working with him as a broadcaster and him being the head coach that uh, – just makes my job so easy. Um, I, I, I know that fans lo- love him for a lot of good and genuine and real reasons, and I'm just so glad that uh, you know he is directing this program right now that I get to cover. I'm fascinated with what Mark Pope has done because I think one of the things that hampered BYU basketball as they got into the West Coast Conference is they would have guys that they would invest in and then they would transfer out. Dave Rose called them program guys. We saw a number of guys that by the time they got to be junior and seniors had made significant contributions to the program in large part because they stuck it out, understood what understood what was going on with the system and everything. And and so now it's a little bit different with uh, guys transferring and then the transfer portal bringing all these guys in for one or two years. And it's really interesting to see how he puts together a roster and what they're doing. And this year might be the most interesting. He's only been there a couple of years, obviously. But this year might be the most interesting as far as it goes. How do you think, or what do you think about the way that he is going about constructing a roster? Because it seems like every year we don't really know until August who's actually going to be on the team. 
I think it's awesome because he proves there's more than, than one way to go about roster construction and still get, and still get good results. I mean, in two seasons, uh, you know, coming in in his first two seasons, he had two NCAA tournament teams. And, and he did it by having to go out, cast kind of a wide net, and, and bring people in that maybe, uh, you know, might not have otherwise considered BYU. And so all credit to Mark Pope for going out and getting those guys, showing that kind of initiative. Um, because there's, there's a blend. You know, there's a blend of guys who are local, who went to high school locally and are now in their second, third, fourth year in the program. And then there are all these other kinds of guys that, again, get brought in by the wide net of Mark Pope. And that wide net philosophy has already paid dividends through two seasons with two NCAA tournament caliber teams. And, and you know, from that first year to the second, even though the first year you didn't get to play in the tournament because of COVID, you know, to, not, you know, to have a COVID year, a pandemic year, lose people like, like TJ Haas and Yoli Childs and Jake Toulson and have to go back and find guys during a pandemic to get you back to the NCAA tournament, I'm not sure enough people realize just how much credit Mark and his staff should get for last year. And, and then and having that obviously be kind of an indicator of how things will be. He will cast, uh, he will go far and wide uh, to, to get players that he thinks fit BYU and help his program and have them blend and create chemistry and really buy into best locker room in America and get better every day. And I see it day by day with this guy. It's, it's real and it's authentic and it, and it helps uh, these guys believe in themselves. And I couldn't be more um, uh, impressed by what he's done through two years in the most difficult and trying of circumstances, taking over for an all-time great in Dave Rose. Uh, again, there, there, there's so much you'd have to do well to get the, the kind of success Mark has gotten in two years in a pandemic era, and he's done it. He and the staff and the players you know, deserve, of course, the lion's share of the credit. But again, we're going to see it. You, know, you lose Brandon Averitt, you lose Matt Harms, guys who might have, could have returned, chose to go elsewhere. How do you fill those spots? And, you know, for right now, it looks like he's filled them well. Uh, guys like Joe Lenardi says, right now, that's another NCAA tournament team I see. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But it's going to be a fun, fun team to watch. And, and uh, Alex Barcelo being back is massive, as we all know. I mean, that's just, it, it means so much to be able to lean on that anchor uh, for this program this year. So you think that the transfer portal can sustain the basketball program in the long run, or do you think that the way basketball has gone, you have no choice? The transfer portal is how most teams are going to create teams. Yeah, everyone's going to have to play the game. And, of course, at BYU, you can't just go after everybody, but you can be, uh, I think, a little bit particular while at the same time being ambitious. And it's just the way it's going to be. And it won't be all transfers all the time. And, again, you can see right now there's a decent blend but I get a sense that Mark and his guys have a, have a pretty good feel. And not only that, they will be able to go and explore uh, portal possibilities in the future with a really strong kind of portfolio and resume and proving ground behind them saying, yeah, sure, there's a guy that maybe was at one or two programs before, but look what happened and came in his one or two years at BYU. Look at the good things that can happen, and, and they did happen. And so I, I, I think it's, it's, it's an indicator of a formula that has already shown signs of success, and, and can ideally continue to be successful for BYU. Greg, as always, good to talk to you, and uh, everything will start ramping up here for you shortly. It'll be nonstop. As always, gentlemen, it is my pleasure. Uh, you work with the great Yacht, and, and seeing Jake on, on a relatively, if not daily, weekly basis in Provo uh, is, is a joy, and uh, you guys have a good one, as you know. And you guys are good ones, uh, as everyone knows, and uh, always good to be with you. Greg Rubel, play-by-play voice of the BYU Cougars. When we come back, we get you up to speed on everything you missed during this show. Stay with us. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time to get you up to speed on everything that's happened during this show and something happened during this show that wasn't on this show. But something happened. BYU Football's official account tweeting out a pair of blue eyes looking to the side. Wide all around the eyes. Like something big 
Like something big just happened. What's going to happen? Or is going to happen, yes. I don't know. Something they know about that other fans don't. Fans are hitting up Twitter. I think BYU football should know about everything. It's BYU football. With all kinds of ideas. Alex Barcella returning to play football. Cool. Thank you, Nick Lee. Did he play football? No, he played basketball. You never played football? I don't know anything about that. I don't know, but uh, they'll have to follow it up now. Can't just do that. A lot of times, uh, this is the kind of stuff schools do when they get a verbal recruit and they can't talk about it because they say I don't, I don't think the program does that. Coaches will do it off their Coaches account. Coaches do it. Coaches yeah. do it off their account. This is more of a yeah, thing. This it's is probably of, let's say some scheduling yeah. situation or something. So they, they'll follow it up with something official. I don't know that the program, because you couldn't follow it up with a recruit committing. Howdy Mandel at the Sad Cowboy says, watch it be something dumb like we've scheduled a home-and-home with Alabama in 2035. Well, that's not dumb. It's a long ways away, (laughs) but it's not dumb. Right? Multiple people tweeting out the uh, gift from the office. Michael Scott, oh my God, okay, it's happening. Again, all amped well, up and getting ready I to run across that, the office. Yeah, I would have if you're going to do a scheduling thing, you know, the Notre Dame thing's out there. Spider Typer says Notre um, Dame. Uh, it would, it's not going to be Indiana. No offense to Indiana. You know, it would have to be something that would be a real big splash. And anytime you play Notre Dame. And they had ta- haven't they talked about playing that game in Vegas? As right? soon as next season. Yeah, that's been out there for a while now, right? That's a great idea. I would think Notre Dame would love that. Yeah, it's the thought is that the only way you'll get them is to get them to go to Vegas and play it. Fine. What difference does it make? No, I mean, you can't I mean, sell your program as much, but... Everybody gets a bigger payday out of it, though, with that oh, facility sure. and all those luxury suites. They write a check. And yeah. BYU fans, we all know, travel to Las Vegas. Oh, and of drugs. course, yeah. That would be cool. That would be whatever time they would play that. You know, with Notre Dame, you don't know necessarily when they would schedule that game where they would fit it in because they got that scheduling agreement with the uh, ACC. But whenever, early, middle, late, it would be something that would be people would be attached to it. Being Notre Dame draws. I mean, they're they're Notre Dame, right? We've got a lot of us out there, and so that would be something that would be fun. I would prefer it sooner the better with the stadium. You know, because 5, 10, 15 years into the stadium, playing in the stadium is cool, but it, it doesn't... It's not as big a deal as when it's brand new. Yeah, exactly. Hey, it's a brand new stadium, let's go see it. Right. Notre Dame has dates right now, who knows what they're moving around, right? They have dates right now on October 1st and 8th next year. October 1st and 8th, you say? And October 29th. They've got a couple games, Boston College and Syracuse, that don't have dates yet. They're looking to slide them in. November 19th is open. So No, I don't know if that's it, but if that would be great. That's big news, I think. A Notre Dame game would be big news. Yeah. How long has it been since they played those first two? It's been a minute. Yeah, I don't know. I have to go back and double back because I can't tell you how top of my head. So getting them in this side of the country would be a big deal. And, of course, we're talking to the BYU fans who live here on the Wasatch Front, but for the BYU fans in St. George, Phoenix, Vegas, all across Southern California, Vegas is more convenient than Provo for them. Not for the season ticket holders here, maybe. I get that. Yeah, but for for Notre Dame fans, we know when Notre Dame's on your schedule and you have a home game, we know that – Notre Dame fans buy season tickets to have access to that one singular game. Mm-hmm. When Notre Dame, when their schedule is put out for whatever year, if you don't book a hotel immediately, they're gone. Real good for the hotel industry. Yeah. It's really amazing. Last time the Cougars played there, they stayed in Michigan City and Holiday Inn uh, several miles away. Because I stayed there too. Uh, usually, I stay in Chicago, but that was maybe that wasn't the last time. Uh, in fact, it wasn't the last time because my parents came with me, and that was the time that my mother drinking her coffee was right in the middle of the Cougar Club breakfast. 
It's Tom Hummel's up there diagramming plays. Oh, boy. <laughs> she got in there. We couldn't find her. We're searching all over the hotel. And I finally find her right in the middle, sitting there eating the free food that goes to the Cougar Club, which, of course, isn't free because being the Cougar Club, you got to pay. And she had saved me a seat right front and center. <laughs> <laughs> and, and was pointing for me to come to sit because she's got food. Fortunately, she in a good seat. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. she wasn't smoking. Uh, she didn't. Bonus. Have, yeah. But she's sitting there, and she's just listening. And all these people are around, and they're talking BYU football. And she thought absolutely nothing of it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, free food. It's so continental breakfast that as a hotel guest, she should... Yeah, and there they are. Oh, they just happen to be talking BYU football. Naturally, because she knew that the BYU folks were staying in the hotel in preparation for the game later that day. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because she got up early, as she often did, and went outside. And I just thought she was outside smoking and looked all over the grounds. And literally, last place that I thought to look was literally the place she was. And we were having this point off. She's pointing for me to come. I'm pointing for her to come to me because I'm standing in the doorway. And finally, after the bout, we've each had a point off of about four times. I made a face that said, you need to get over here now. And she got up and left. And I told that story at her mass, her funeral mass. And it got quite the laugh uh, on that. It's just an un- that whole weekend was an unbelievable experience with my parents taking them back to Notre Dame. Well... If that's what it is, as we sit here uh, on the radio and try to figure it out, October 8th and 29th, both teams have open dates. So they got two dates available right now. Who knows what else they're trying to plug in? It's a big jigsaw puzzle, and I'm just cutting straight to that. Yeah, and I don't know that that's what the eyeballs are for. Nor do I. Yeah, but I'm just, that, that would be... That would be that would be worthy eyeball of... Enough. Yeah, that would be worthy of that, uh, of that photo. Yeah, Notre Dame, for sure. All right, other stuff we have been discussing this morning. Joe Ingles, upset, not happy when he was uh, on our show 24 hours ago. With all the messages he got, trade rumors, what's going on, are you on the move? And he was in the middle of the Olympics with Australia basketball team. Would you rather the Jazz try to win the title or trade him to get a better shot at it? Let's break this out by demographics, PK. 100% 100% females say keep them. I say keep them, too, unless it's just an absolute you cannot refuse this deal. Got to hit a home run. Got to be a clear upgrade. I heard some people say, well, if you can get an all-star. Well, duh. That's a clear upgrade. <laughs> yes. But who's going to do that? I, I do wonder, as they go all in here in the next uh, three to four years, I do wonder if there will be a chance, and obviously other things will happen to happen with other teams, but... Do you trade? They, they've got a lot of guys getting played good role player money, right? In that mm-hmm. eight to fifteen thousand, eighteen to eight to fifteen million dollar range. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Can you trade two or three of those for a star player? And depending on where they are, they're twenty five to forty million. And do the big three, and then. Pay everybody else the minimum. You know, there's so few star players, though. I agree. That's why I said it depends. There's a lot of happens. players who make a lot of money, sure. but aren't star caliber. Like two years ago, we didn't know Harden was going to be available. He becomes available, and Brooklyn goes all in to get him. Now, is there going to be somebody like that? Somebody, the Lakers, going all in to get Anthony Davis? Is there going to be that kind of player available, and can the Jazz get in on that? I don't think those types of players move. And you, you could say Anthony Davis... Yeah, Anthony Davis, when he has LeBron, is decent. I'll give him that. On his own, is he really a franchise cornerstone? But on the other hand, he wouldn't be on his own here. Have Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you and, and Rudy Gobert. I'm not thinking either one of those guys would be in the deal. Those would be three enormous salaries. And then if you fill in with veteran minimums, do guys want to play with them? How good a team can you build? And will that opportunity be out there? And we've just seen a slew of guys on big money move. Now, to your point, <laughs> some of them are more, more valuable chasing a championship than others. And the championship just went to a team that didn't make that kind of move. I mean, it made a significant upgrade, though, in getting Drew Holiday. But not that kind of move that I was talking about, where you would trade 
three guys on eight, eleven, fourteen million dollar contracts. After look at what Drew is making, he's a good player, but he's not at that level. Oh, I think he now, was, some he of the, was players, the difference. Yes, but some of the players, and that's more the move I would expect the Jazz to make. I guess that's just more the move that gets made around the NBA would be the reason to say that. It's like, okay, here's an upgrade. It's an upgrade, but it's not bringing in a megastar because your point, some of those megastars aren't worth it and aren't going to win titles. Chris Paul didn't win a title, although he got the Suns very close. Well, you better make that move now because these guys that you're talking about are getting older. Yeah. And I respect jazz management. I don't know that they necessarily uh, made any calls on that rumor. That rumor can be totally from, and it was about Golden State, it could be from Warrior uh, generated, and the Jazz have no control over somebody else thinking, hey, we would love to have this guy or that guy on your team. And agents leak stuff, yeah. trying to make stuff happen. Yeah. Hey, this isn't happening. Well, let's make this guy unhappy, and then he'll waive his no-trade clause and do it. And so they leak stuff. But so I respect them trying to upgrade the team, even if it means trading someone who is so beloved. You have to do it. And I think they did do it. And I think they had opportunities that they investigated and in the end, it, either they couldn't or decided it wasn't their best move to pull the trigger. I think Ingles, to an extent, was there to be had, which is no big secret. Everybody should be there to be had, or virtually everybody, but they decided not to. And, and I think it's stepping back from it with not knowing particulars, although I have talked to people and heard some stuff. I bet you know some particulars, but you don't probably, know all the particulars. Pro- I, there's no way I know all the particulars. No, not at all. Uh, I have, I've heard, and I did make some talk to people. We'll just leave it at that. Uh, I think it's in the right thing to do to give this thing a shot because you are strongly in the mix. You know, next year, maybe it's an entirely different summer. But this year... I think it was the right thing to do. Let's see what you got. Give it another shot. And you keep the core. It's together, right? I mean, tr- trading out or losing out in the Yang, you're not losing the core. You're periphery of the core. And you replaced them immediately anyway. So let's give this thing a run. It- it's there to be had. Because I don't think there's a dominant team. Nobody. I think teams got better to some degree in the West. But I don't think there's a team that you just point to. Not even the Lakers with all their moves. I get it because of all the teams that I look at uh, vulnerability to injury, I put the Lakers right there in the mix with everybody. Maybe even at the top. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback's coming up. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Let's talk some Utah football. Joining us, Van Fillinger. Obviously a weird year last year. You play five games and you participated in all those five games for Utah. For that being your freshman year, you're probably finding out what the real experience of being a college football player is like this year. Yeah, it was really weird last year, honestly. And the thing is, is like it's not completely back to normal yet. We still wear masks in the facility, so it's definitely better than it was last year, but it was real weird last year. I mean, no fans or anything at the games, and you know, I'm a big, uh, like, I feed off the energy that the fans bring and stuff, so I'm real excited to get after it this year and have a full stadium. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. I think the uh, speech by Coach Boone and remember the Titans on the field of Gettysburg was one of the most powerful uh, sports scenes in movie history. Powerful sports scenes. It was, but it doesn't compare to Hey Dad. <laughs> you don't rank it high, you just won't rank it number one. Yeah, that's the best sports scene. Tonight at 515, Field of Dreams. Yeah. Just a little beyond the corn and left field of the movie set, they have built a second field, a major league-sized field, not a movie studio field. And they're going to keep it, too. Everything goes into storage after this. If it works, they'll be back. Well, they'll play other games there. They'll take down the stands. Yeah. But those can be put up. I mean, they do it at the Phoenix Open every year. You go in, and I played it in August, and you're on 16. You don't even know you're on 16. <laughs> Doesn't look anything like it? No. No, not at all. No. I should be in a canyon now. Yeah. I should be just, surrounded by 30,000 people. It was still fun to play, and I took my picture and parred the hole and blah, blah, blah from my distance, not from the back. Uh, but it just it has 
no semblance. So they'll have that field there. This is a phenomenal idea. Yeah, it's a public relations thing and designed to in a slew of games that are just seemingly endless the course of the summer. Baseball starts in when it's snowing and ends when it's snowing sometimes. <laughs> it goes through all the weather uh, seasons, so generate a little buzz. And, and Field of Dreams, it's the top five sports movies. Not just the top one, the top five. What? Yeah, top five. It's one, it's two, it's three, it's four, it's five? I agree. No, there's no sequels. It's not the top five. You're it doesn't need a sequel. Here. If it's it your just, favorite, it goes on for It's not about my favorite. It's about what? It's like saying the Beatles are my favorite and they're overrated if you don't like. No, the statistics bear it out. There's, it's not an argument. So stop. Just stop. <laughs> I won't. <laughs> You're just arguing to argue. Come on, Slapshot was a great movie. <laughs> How do I watch Slapshot and think it's a great movie when the mom in a Christmas Story didn't have a top on? I mean, come on. Did I really need to see that? Rolling Stone ranked the top movies, but Hoop Dreams, number one, the documentary. That's not a movie. It's a documentary. Well, movies can be documentaries. Documentaries are a type of movie. No. They have their own category, doofus. Raging Bull, Caddyshack. These are legendary movies. They are. I agree. And you dismiss them. I don't dismiss them. I just put them at 6th, 7th, and 8th. No one has moved an individual like Field of Dreams has moved. Hundreds of millions of people. Man, it's Rolling Stone... uh Man, maybe I missed it. I don't see. I don't see them ranking that movie up there at all, which is surprising. Field of Dreams ought to be up there. Right. Rolling oh, Stone. Rolling Stone I mean, Chronicle of Roll it up and smoke pop, another one. Rolling pop Stone pop culture you? in yeah. America. Not pop a pot. Pot culture. <laughs> <laughs> we know what they're about. Come on, they wouldn't have any idea because they, they've never played catch. There are certain never. Type of people, they have a place in our society, just not in my life. No. We got a lot of listeners rallying, wanting Joe on the team for another year. Michelle, what seventh man are you going to get to replace Joe? The guy's the epitome of a role player. What if you traded him for a starter? What if you trade him for an all-star? Then the other team is stupid. <laughs> Some trades are lopsided. Yeah, but not, not like that. All right, there's the feedback you've been weighing in today. We, we have a lot more, but it's mostly from people who are different versions of Keep Joe. Keep Joe. I want Joe. More Joe. The connection he has made is just absolutely fascinating to me. I wonder if it could be made in a big market, or any other market for that matter. Doesn't even have to be really that big. Because you got like Milwaukee. Well, Milwaukee's small market... And I realize the Packers are down the road a little bit, but they also have the Brewers. So how small are they? You know, they're small comparative, but they've got multiple professional sports. So at you the would highest go level. more San Antonio, Portland. But I even wonder because it's San not a, Antonio. Milwaukee's not a one horse town. San no, no, Antonio, no. the Cowboys are big all over right, Texas. Right, right. My my wife's grandmother lived in San Antonio, and we were down there visiting. I got in the car to. Go pick something up at the store. I flipped on the radio, and there was the Troy Aikman show. Of course. Syndicated into San Antonio. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hardcore. It's so dominant. In yeah. multiple states, the Cowboys go. Oh, yeah. Huge in yeah. New Mexico. Huge yeah. in Oklahoma. Yeah. So, I get where you're going with that, but the Cowboy shadow is cast so long that so I, I just don't the know. Defining, the overlooked defining characteristic of Salt Lake City, the physical isolation. It is so far to anywhere. Yeah, because in Portland, as much as they got a big brother, little brother thing going on with Seattle, I got to think the Seahawks are huge in Portland. Yeah. But I think Portland's a nice one, a nice uh, example. But how many places? The perfect storm, really. Jacksonville, if the Jacksonville Jaguars were ever good, a Jacksonville player would own that town. Well, they will be. 
They got Urban. Urban, baby. Urban doesn't lose. Winning's coming. He doesn't lose. So we'll see how that goes. Saints players in New Orleans. I mean, football's bigger than basketball, and football got there a quarter of a yeah, century I'll say, before basketball. Yeah, but Drew basketball. Brees, but he's a Hall of Fame guy. Yeah. So, of course, we get that. I mean, Jeter in New York, the biggest city of them all. You know <laughs> what I mean? Magic in L.A. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously. Uh, so, that, that's going to happen. a role player do it in another town? Or has a role player done it in another town and we just don't know? A pacer in Indianapolis. That's a good one. But they got the Indy 500. <laughs> that's not what it was. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's not what guys, it was. Basically a tour. Guys drop in for a week and leave. <laughs> two weeks. Two or three weeks of qualifying. Yeah, but it, it, they got Bob Knight. They got uh, Jimmy Chitwood. Well, people say <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of great sports movies. Great movie. Jimmy Chitwood. <laughs> I can make it, Coach. <laughs> Dennis Hopper, uh, who's the what's Jack? What, what, what's the the lead character? Gene. Coach Gene, goes. Gene I Ackman. Go. Gene Ackman. Yeah, Gene I got Ackman. it. Coach goes. I go. Yeah. Coach stays. I play. Yeah. So I think we ought to revote. And then too, to have Renai and the kids. But there is not any player whose kids' names I know, but Jacob, Milla, and Jack. I feel you like used I to should always, give used to birthday always cards. go crazy on Phil's kids. I know, but this is so freaking charming. <laughs> That's the point is everybody else finds it charming, and then you have to go the other way because it's not so charming. But this is charming. What are you talking about? I don't follow you. really charming, you wouldn't, you wouldn't taunt him, too. Well, not oh, to his face because he's on the phone. Joe! I'm not taunting R- him! Renee and the kids to him. Come on. You're, okay, you're not taunting. You're tweaking. No, I'm not. Okay. I'm just trying to speak like he speaks. I'm not taunting him. That's, hey, yeah, can I get a ruling from the judge This is here? not a tauntment. <laughs> a taunt? It's not a tauntment at all. It's like atonement, but it's It different. is just the, well, of course you would bring up atonement. Uh, this is, <laughs> it is indicative of the connection. I leave my religion out of it. I leave yours out People of it. People <laughs> feel like they know Jacob, Miller, and Jack. Uh. The future president of the United American States. American Jack. <laughs> <laughs> and they like it. that We taunt him on his kid was born in the U.S. Okay, I'll give you that. But I don't taunt him about knowing his kid's name because he's put out there. The son with the autism, that's a real issue to so many folks. And, and he and his wife have attacked it head on. And he was so public about it. He was virtually crying about it when he got the diagnosis. It was such a significant blow. He didn't even feel like playing hoop and all that stuff. That is, he put himself so far out there to be relatable with everyday life. And then he talks about, yeah, I know I have the finances to do that. That's why I want to help because so few people are in the situation that I'm in and I'm rich. And I can do all these things, and I have zero financial worries. Well, um, Mary and Jack down the street, no. They've got Jack and Mary got to go to work, and they still got to deal with this deal, and how are they going to do it all? It's amazing, all the stuff. The connection is just unreal. It's, it's beyond comprehension to me. I've never seen anything like it. It is highly unusual. I can't guarantee it's the that, highest unusual. I can't guarantee that nothing like this has ever ever happened. I don't know how some Buffalo Saber has connected with fans in Buffalo. But they got the Bills. They don't even connect more than more than Josh be, Allen is. It connecting. would be more amazing if a role player connected, not into one horse town, but where there was you know the NFL. Well, Buffalo would be the NFL and the NHL. It'd be a it'd be a two horse town. It, well, they had baseball for a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Blue Jays briefly. Hey guys, we're here. It, it doesn't. It doesn't happen because not only that, not only you have to have the right uh, scenario, you've got to have the right personality. True story. Not everyone can pull it off because he could have been who he is as he a player, a but been ability. far more private. Yeah, he has a unique ability to. Uh, be a good interview while being a good teammate. There are plenty of people who are good teammates who are good interviews. 
And there are people with good interviews, eh, not necessarily the best teammates. Or they're just not good, good enough players, whatever it might be. That's true, too. And the team isn't winning. The, the, the rise from the ashes of Joe Ingles of, at 27 finally making it. It's a freaking uh, uh, the Philadelphia Philly Eagle guy. What's Vince Papali? Joe Ingles. <laughs> Vince Papali. <laughs> it's exactly that. The walk-on. Yeah. Playing in the mud. He's basically a walk-on, and they used to play in Philly and put the car lights there. Uh-huh. Vince Papali, of course, it was an Italian who did it because they got something extra. That's a fact. <laughs> 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 You've been around those Northeast Italians. My wife, right now, she's working, but she and she's at Jordan High School. Jordan High School. What's uh, that all about? <laughs> Some guy complaining of Jordan. I didn't talk enough about Jordan. I'm a beat digger at heart. Everybody knows that. Nobody knows that at Even all. Even though my kid goes to Brighton. Uh, I love the Bengals, but, you know, you got to win. I mean, I'm a, I'm a bandwagoner or a bandwagger. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? You. Oh, that's Idiot. Right. <laughs> a bandwagger. <laughs> yeah, bonus syllable. Wasn't really needed. You know what I meant. Oh, yeah, B-wag. <laughs> B-Wag I'm a B-Wag And Corner Canyon wins So I've jumped aboard them <laughs> But 40 she, in a row <laughs> She would be Acknowledging Something about Northeast Italians That are separate And the drive That they have The determination Well that's what Joe Has basically done He's Vince Papali Forget about Rudy He is Vince Papali Making the team I'm not even sure I'm saying the name right But it sounds good You are good. Yeah you are okay. You got it right Okay yeah. Vinny Vinny and so, what a story, man. I think most folks, I think overwhelming amount of folks hope he retires here. And then they're going to be sad to see him go because what is he going to do? Is he going to disappear and then yeah. we never see him again? Yeah. I find that hard to believe. Okay, he might come back the way Antoine Cara and Mehmet Okura come back. But you're asking him to come back from further away. He's going to have kids in school for a big chunk of the year. It's going to limit his travel. Yeah, but actually the way that works is the seasons play out. Because if they, on a traditional school calendar, which I don't if know If they what do the doing, school through the winter, and I don't know, I can check on that for you. Summer is our winter, so right. it's in the heart of the NBA season. So maybe he could be back here for a January home game. Do the holidays and then go to the States. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he would be beloved. They put his face on the screen there. Oh, the place would go nuts. Yeah. I mean, it does for many players when they put him on the screen. So you know he'd, yeah. he'd get the warm response. Oh, he, he would get a standing O. A standing freaking O. It would be interesting to see what he does upon retirement. I'm taking him at face value. He's picking up and he's moving to, to Melbourne. Sure. But how often the is world is smaller in, in that way. You see what I'm saying? I am. Yeah, I do. What kind of is it just going to be a total divorce, so to speak? Thanks, appreciate it. Well, uh, I would be surprised if we if there were zero opportunities to see him again. Yeah. All right, Hans and Scotty are coming up next right here on the Zone Sports Network.